Hi, I'm Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I know the world can feel intimidating or scary at times, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be. Through the lens of food, we can learn so much about one another, celebrate our differences, and maybe eat some tasty food along the way. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. So let's go on a food adventure together right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is episode 29. Now before we get started, you know the drill. And if you're new to the podcast, well, now you're going to know the drill. Don't take notes. I've taken all of the notes. Go to my website for all of the show notes, my beautiful food and product photography. If you want to hire me to highlight your business, let's work together. That's ElizabethRFuller.com. If you have any questions for the podcast, maybe for an upcoming guest that you want to talk to, or you just need culinary sleuthing or relationship advice, I have you. Shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at Let's Go on a Food Adventure. Okay, let's do this, guys. I know I say this about all my guests. I do. I do. And as most of you know by now, professionally, how I make my living is through commercial and editorial food and product photography. I absolutely love it. I love highlighting businesses, uplifting people in the community, helping these businesses sell their product to the consumer on a deeper level. It's it's awesome. I love what I do. A lot of the aspects of it. I mean, all of them. All of them I love, from meeting new people to the proposal process. To, I mean, just everything, to actually picking up a camera, which is the smallest part of my job. But one of the things that we as photographers and any kind of creative, and I think anyone out there, but creatives especially, is we look up to people in the industry and we always are looking for the latest and greatest. Maybe we're diving back onto what used to be and we look towards other people as our mentors, right? I have to just start, I have to start this. I'm still shook. I'm still shook. Our guest today, I, I, I still, I have no words. She is someone I look up to and have for many years for inspiration when it comes to food photography. She has an incredible YouTube channel called The Bite Shot. She has been in this business for over 15 years. She's kind of done it all. She's an incredible educator. She has a great book called Picture Perfect Food. I, I just, I, it's like without further ado, the biggest round of applause on the planet. I adore this woman and look up to her so much. So please, please welcome to the podcast, Joni Simon from The Bite Shot. Hi, Joni. Hey. <laughs> I am like going to do my best not to fangirl too hard right now because I am like bowing down to your amazingness. You oh, no. goodness. <laughs> you're a goddess. Everyone I told that I was privileged to talk to you today was like, oh, like gagged, <laughs> gagged, gooped, gagged, you name it. They were feeling it. So it, it's, it's beyond, 
it's it's beyond an honor. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's always great to get to chat with folks who understand this weird thing that it is we do that nobody else, you know, friends and family are like, what do you do? You know, I know. So what can I eat? When can I come over and eat those things? And you're like, exactly. you can't. Right. <laughs> They're no, gone. Right now. <laughs> I was snacking on them as I was shooting. There's nothing left. Exactly. exactly. I know, totally. You're like, how many bites can I get out of this sandwich to make it look good still? Because I'm starving. There's a strategy. There is a strategy. <laughs> There totally is. And we're going to talk all about it. And before we dive into the amazing amount of listener questions that we have, I would love to talk a little bit about your background and like where you grew up, how you got started in this and like what you did before you even picked up a camera, which was what, 15 years ago, basically. Um, I'm trying to think now, you know, I feel like I've just, the older you get, the more you start to just yeah. lose track of time. But totally. yeah, the first cam, like the first real camera I bought was in 2009. So okay. however, however many years <laughs> since 2009. Right. <laughs> totally. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, um, grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, which is where I live today, kind of in the same neighborhood where I grew up. And, but I will say, you know, you look on your life story and your history and you're like, how did we get here? And, you know, it certainly was not a direct path to food photography. Um, but I grew up really interested in the arts and in food and in creative things and in painting and cross stitch and, you know, like all these different creative outlets have always been an important part of um, my upbringing and certainly an emphasis in my family as well. Um, my mother is an artist. Uh, wow. We've got long lineage there. And so, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of, you know, the trajectory to getting to food photography, my undergraduate degree is in art history. Okay. Uh, you know, I big fan of Sex in the City. And I was like, I'm going to be Charlotte. You're Kristen. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm a massive fan of Sex in the City. I That's like the show that I rewatch when I don't want to watch anything like the, yeah. I don't want to watch a new show. I'll put it on in the background. and I'm like firing off emails. I totally watched an episode. <laughs> I know. I just watched the episode um, where Petrovsky and Carrie were having dinner in her house and nice. he splats the mouse as he's like <laughs> making the risotto. Like literally an hour ago, I was like zoning out, sending so emails and what. I know. And it's like having a, a re, a re like introduction moment. I'm like, oh, this stuff is so good. But yeah, so I mean, good. You know, oh, I'm going to do art history. And I think, you know, I think back on like, why did I study art history as yeah. opposed to just get a studio art degree? And I think so much of it was fear. Now, how practical is an art history degree? Not at all. Um, but I, for some reason, had this self-limiting belief that, oh, I'm not actually an artist. Like, I can't go to school to be an artist. And so I took a certain number of studio classes, which were far and away my favorite classes that I took in school. Um, but, you know, just never really felt confident enough to commit to getting a studio degree. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, and then, you know, through the course of all of that realizing, okay, well, I've studied all of this and here it is, you know, what year was that? 2004. And I don't know what to do with myself. And so I was working in student leadership at the time um, on campus and realized that, oh, well, there's like this very clear path toward continuing on in higher education in terms of working with student leadership and development. So and not paying your student loans. I mean, <laughs> like, how can we defer this as long as possible? 
Yeah. And so going into um, then graduate school to get a master's degree in counseling, uh, which seems so disconnected now, but I'm so thankful for that education now because of what I do in terms of working with students and in terms of teaching and understanding communication. Mm -hmm. And it also, so much of that psychology goes into the art of sales and working with potential clients. And so, uh, yeah, so spent about 10 years then in the higher ed sphere and really focusing in on student leadership and development and like my favorite part of my job when I was working in higher ed uh, was in student training like we would have these big um, every semester a big huge like student leadership training and so I loved coordinating the trainings and planning the curriculum and planning the sessions and now I'm like oh my gosh that was like laying the groundwork for now Um, you know what it is that I do yeah (laughs) and in my courses. And uh, yeah, so eventually, you know, the life has its way of then you kind of have to get practical. And I continued on in the higher ed sphere, but found myself, um, you know, I have a lot of opinions about the world of higher education in this day and age, um, as I'm sure many people do, but uh, I became very disenchanted with just the institutions I was working with. I bounced around a lot of different places, but found myself making like $30,000 a year working 80 hours a week. And, you know, the, the needle that, you know, or that whatever the expression is, whatever, you know, broke it all down for me was then they were like, oh, well, we, we need all of you who are the directors to uh, sell football tickets. And I'm like, I didn't oh go God. get a master's degree and have all this expertise and experience and making no money to sell football tickets. Like, no, thank you. I'm out. So. Yeah. <laughs> like you're a team player to a point. I came from higher ed too. So I'm the Did same. You? Yeah. I was the director of um, event sales for two colleges here in the Boston area for the last 10 years. So I totally get it. Totally get it. And like working in that environment, it's, there's so many pluses to it. Like you are molding minds. You're seeing this enthusiasm of students, the energy you're thriving off of is awesome. And plus who doesn't like, I mean, we never had summers off, but like the slight downtime when the kids do leave, right. Awesome. (laughs) but you make no money. There's no momentum to go up. All you get is a new title and the new yeah. title is crap. You know what I mean? It's higher ed loves a good title. They're yeah. like, you can be the senior leadership coordinator of blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And da, da, da. And you're like, I you can't even fit it on a business card. What are you doing to me? I know. And I think <laughs> for me too, you know, the reason that I got into and was following that path was because I really loved the connection with students and I loved helping students acclimate to college and navigate, navigate like this very complicated time mm-hmm. in life when you're 18 to 22 years old, like that is a very dynamic time in a person's life. And so I loved being a part of that and helping to mold student leaders. Like that was amazing. But then I started looking at, okay, what's my boss's job? And I'm like, yeah. well, they're just pushing paperwork around and pushing around agendas. And I like, that takes me further away from what got me into this in the first place. And so I started to go, yeah, that's not for me. So I call, I called my dad and I said, cause we had, I'd worked on the East coast for a number of years and then ended up landing back in Phoenix after, you know, a couple different colleges and um, it was back in Phoenix just to be near family. My husband and I, both our families are here. And mm-hmm. so, uh, knowing I wanted to leave higher ed and I was like, I'm just, I'm done. I'm burned out. I'm over it. So I called my dad. I said, Hey dad, you got any jobs? Cause my dad, um, at the time he since retired just recently, but owned a local technology company selling point of sale systems to restaurants. Oh, sure. Um, and so I said, you know, and this is like my 
great grandfather started the business when it was cash registers oh, wow. and then, you know, the technology would come up. They still have some of those like gilded old school style, like wild west cash registers, you know, it's so quite, a, cool. quite a lineage. So, you know, I said, dad, can I have a job? And he's like, well, you know how to talk to people. Let's stick you in sales. I'm like, okay, it's great. <laughs> right. Um, and you know, I, I jumped in and certainly having an affinity and a love for food, having always loved food. Um, that was a very, natural transition to jump into that role and to start connecting with restaurant folks. Now, did I get beat up and learn a lot of hard lessons oh, about yeah. sales and cold calling and managing yeah. money and, you know, really getting a sense of all that, but it was such a great experience. And again, kind of coming back to now being a small business owner myself, like talk about great education, you know, whenever mm -hmm. anybody's taking a pivot in their life and they're like, I'm doing this thing and I don't know what it adds up to, you know, it's like amazing in retrospect to just see how all these different experiences really add up to where, where it is maybe you're potentially going. So to never discount the power of something that may seem like a tangent, but maybe it's not, you know, that maybe there's real purpose in that. <laughs> so beautifully said, because as I know, and you a million percent know, picking up a camera and taking a photo is the smallest percentage of our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> without question. Like we interact with people and deal with sales and contracts and planning and project management mm -hmm. way more than we, I wish, I wish I could just take photos all day. That would be I amazing. Know, right? <laughs> but that literally pulling the trigger and using that remote trigger, or if I'm lucky enough to actually hold the camera, it's yeah. the smallest, but yeah, I think it's amazing. So we need to talk about your book the picture <laughs> perfect food book it's such a culmination of I, i'm a huge fan of your youtube channel but it's literally your youtube channel in a book form which is like beautifully laid out approachable it's you can thumb through it almost as a reference guide and also read it end to end and it makes cohesive sense either way you want to and like go back to it i've got notes in there, post-it notes, <laughs> love, 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 love the book. What inspired you to do a book? Yeah. Well, you know, when it wasn't necessarily something that was on my radar at the time, you know, I look back at 2019, 2020, I, I started the bite shot in 2017 and it kind of quickly grew, you know, it, there was an audience waiting and excited for food photography content. And so kind of, you know, rest is history, but 2019, 2020, um, was probably the most busy years. Like there were just so many projects, both in terms of my commercial work and working with clients, as well as the bite shot and courses and continuing mm -hmm. the content, you know, chaos that we all know and love. And so it wasn't necessarily something that was immediately on my radar to do, but there were a couple publishers that had sort of presented themselves said, Hey, you know, we see what you're doing online and we love it. And have you ever thought of doing a book? And I'm like, well, I'd love to do a book, but I don't, is right now, right? The right time. And so, um, kind of having some of those conversations and coming across page street publishing who published the book. Um, I really liked the energy and the vision that they had and that their expertise is in cookbooks and in DIY books. Mm. Um, some of the other publishers I was talking to were much more specialized in like 
textbooks. And I was like, I am not a textbook space right now. Like I'm more in, I really want to create something. And I'm glad that this comes across that really goes part and parcel with what I've created on YouTube and echoes that spirit and really infuses the food component in it. And I felt like a cookbook publisher of anybody who would, would understand that energy and that layout and how to put it together um, and making it accessible that, you know, it's got enough for somebody who's just getting started and, you yeah. know, on a cell phone, but then also plenty of good quality nuggets for somebody who's been doing it a while or to revisit topics that, you know, I think there's sometimes that we learn something and you're like, okay, I got that. I know everything there is to know on that. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh wait, no, there, there's still something else there. There's something I haven't um, explored. And so an opportunity through self, you know, kind of that self-application and wanting the challenges that go along with each, each little section to. Yeah. It's, I love that part of it because I took when I was in college, I took many classes in studio photography and I grew up in the film age. So I was in a dark room for yeah. years and I'm 40. So I'll, I'll date myself. Me too. Well, almost. Okay. It's about to turn. <laughs> oh my God. Well, almost welcome to the club then. Thank and so, you, you know, I, we grew up in an age where there was no digital. It wasn't invented yet. So when I started photography, it was all black and white and I was developing myself. And, you know, you learn the rule of thirds, you learn an S curve, you learn how to light things, but it's so great that you do it in pun intended, such a digestible way in the book. <laughs> you like that? That's a good dad joke. Yeah, um, that's a good dad right? joke. <laughs> <laughs> right. That one. No, I'm just kidding. That uh, it's, I, I loved, I loved reading it. And I was almost worried when I bought it. I was like, I wonder if there's going to be enough pictures for me in it. Mm. Oh, there is. There yeah. totally is. Yeah. I love it. You did a great job. What was your favorite things you learned from writing a book? Because it's huh. got to be a very daunting task. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely big, you know, in terms of the amount of time and effort, I would say anybody looking to create a book, it's, it's a labor of love on another level, right? Mm. Um, because you're not, you're not going to do it for money unless no. you're like somebody who's a big New York, New York times bestseller, but, um, and, and this is not, and that's okay. It and will be, no, we're going to put it in the universe. <laughs> it will be by this time next year, girl, oh, you're going to be up there and they're going to be like, can we do two more? Let's get you a deal. <laughs> you're going to be big in France, like Carrie Bradshaw. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, you know, it was, I think what was really surprising to me was that, you know, kind of looking at it and thinking about, it, I was like, oh, wow, the writing portion and granted I've had a lot of great education, so many amazing teachers and, um, you know, I feel solid in my ability to write well. Um, but what I found so interesting that actually the photography in terms of emotionally, spiritually was much more difficult um, because I felt like there wasn't this pressure for me to be a writer, right? So in terms of that expectation, nobody's coming in looking for me to write, you know, beautiful prose. Or, yeah, the next war and peace, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. it's functional, yeah. um, you know, in my own voice, but we're not trying to, be, you know, and so from a mentality standpoint, that kind of came a little bit easier. Granted, mm. there was, um, it was great working with a publisher who really challenged me in places where we needed to add more or explain more or to, you know, how to change things. So that was phenomenal. Um, but when I got to the photography uh, and I wrote an article uh, about this a number of months ago, kind of talking about how, you know, kind of come into it like, okay, now we're in the photography. Cause I, in terms of chunking it out, I mostly did all the writing first and then all the photos second. 
Uh, and so, you know, kind of guns blazing, like, oh, this is going to be Let's the easy part. do this. Yeah, I do this every day. And I yeah. can photograph whatever I want. I mean, in the context of what I've written, but I have full creative license, right? There were no yeah. limitations from the publisher. But suddenly when, you know, when you're faced with so many unlimited options and that you don't have those limitations, and then two, thinking about the permanency of a book, you start to get in your head and think, well, these have to be the most amazing photos that I have ever created in my entire life. And that's like, yeah. there's undue pressure. Um, and then as you're like in the context of, okay, I'm creating these images and now I'm on Instagram and looking at, well, my images aren't as beautiful as all these other ones <sighs> that I'm seeing on Instagram. Right. And so then you get too far into your own head and it really bogs down the process. And so, um, I was fortunate to have some other friends in the food photography community who, uh, you know, I kind of led into this process and they're like, Joni, you, you, you are being <laughs> way too hard on yourself. You just need to just do it. Like, it's fine. This is, this is where you're at today. It's going to be much better than you're seeing. It's already incredible. Um, but also know that there's, you know, books in the future. And that again, you know, from the standpoint of what's the function of this book, this book is not intended for everybody to stop and say, oh, wow, Joni's an amazing photographer. The purpose of this book is for people to go, oh, now I'm inspired to go pick up my own camera and create my own photos. And so suddenly when I I, you know, I kind of shifted that perspective of, okay, it's not about showing off. This is about helping people. Then that always is a great place to bring me back to. Absolutely. And like throw on some Beyonce and start <laughs> dancing and have some fun with it. Like every time I get on the struggle bus with anything, I'm like, I need to put on a fun mixtape of something and oh yeah, just get bring more fun into this. Going. <laughs> right. Seriously. So that's a great segue because one of the things that you've mentioned many times over is use the book for inspiration, like copy, try to recreate these shots to a T. And as somebody who's a creative, you walk this very fine line when you're looking for inspiration for a photo shoot and creating a shot list or a mood board. What do you do? How do you walk that line when you're working with your own clients or creating something like this? Cause you don't want to replicate anyone's work wholeheartedly when you're doing something professionally like this, and it's not just an Instagram fun tag, right? right? Like, yeah. What do you do? Yeah. I mean, I think that in preparation for shoots, you know, especially when I know I'm creating, it depends on the shoot, but I mean, I, every single shoot I do, I'm collecting inspiration, right? Like I'm collecting reference photos, right? Especially for those difficult uh, to shoot things. I think of a specific example shooting for um, a hotel chain last year and we needed to shoot their to-go items and their breakfast items, which you can imagine to-go breakfast items aren't necessarily going to be the cutest foods ever. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of <laughs> one of them, which strikes fear in the heart of every food photographer was a breakfast burrito. And it's like, <sighs> okay, we got breakfast burrito, challenge accepted. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, then I'm out there looking for, okay, well, what let's just look for breakfast burritos, you know, like let's Google it. Let's look on stock sites. Let's look at all the different resources that I've got out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so then starting to, I think having that bigger collection so that I'm not working from just one photo that's inspiring it, but going, Oh, I really like the way, like there were a number of shots that I'd seen from other ad campaigns out there. Um, one in particular that I was like Googling because I remember being on a plane at one point in time, and I don't know if it was Southwest airlines or what. Um, but 
but I remember like their little like in-flight meal thing. I was like, <laughs> and this is fantastic, right? So, <laughs> I'm like, who did this? I know. I was like, <laughs> I should have jacked it. Cause of course, like here in preparation for this shoot, I was like, oh, it'd be really helpful to have that as inspiration to look to. Um, so I'm like Googling Southwest Airlines, American Airlines, you know, like I need to get a hold of it. I couldn't find it, but I found some things that were helpful in that sort of ilk and, uh, you know, kind of going for some harder lighting, but with a certain amount of fill light, like that was yeah. going to be flattering for that and how to position the burrito and, you know, different sort of strategies of, you know, like how can we play off putting other things in the background and mm -hmm. also just understanding the art direction that I had um, from the art director who was on that shoot. So I think that, you know, whenever we can mul pull from multiple sources, you know, it's, there's always that great adage that great artists steal, you know, and I think that if you, though, if you're taking from multiple inputs that ca that can really help you to sort of morph it so that it doesn't look like an exact recreation. Um, yeah. but certainly like I, you know, like I write in the book, I love it when people legit like straight up copy it, right. Because you learn so much in that process too, of like, ah, how are we going to get this lighting to look like that? Or how am I going to get yeah. this texture to look like that? Or those colors, you know, I think that there's so much that can uh, stretch us. And then you take that into your future and go, oh, I remember when, back when I recopied that, you know, as a little exercise, now I can bring this into a future shoot. So well put. Absolutely. So with that, are you ready to dive into the <laughs> most amount of listener questions oh this podcast God. has had? And like, Woo! I had to condense some down because <laughs> multiple people ask similar questions. Perfect. Yep. So let's, let's dive right into this. I'm ready. I'm All ready. right. Lindsay and Matt from Facebook, and this is a two-parter question from Lindsay and Matt, yeah. ask, I'm new to photography and I'm trying to attract slash land clients in the commercial and editorial world, and it's a slow go. How can I do this more successfully? And how did you find yours in the beginning or any tips on how to do it better now? Yeah, so it's a great question. So when I first got started, um, the vast majority of the clients that I got all came out of, I was doing personal work, um, you know, just like shooting for myself. And inevitably if we're shooting for ourselves, there's some sort of food, some sort of products in there. Um, and making sure to include, you know, tag to that product and then sending a direct message to them. So prime example being, um, I first, this was like 2015. Uh, and I had, I was creating recipes for a food blog for my own food blog that mm -hmm. I was like, ah, I'm going to be a food blogger. This is what we're doing today. And so I created this parfait recipe. And I remember thinking at the time, like, this isn't even a recipe. This is like me putting Sara Lee pound cake with some pudding and some fruit and sprinkles <laughs> and like calling it a recipe. But I'm like, you know what? I really like these photos. So let's just post it anyway. Nobody's reading this blog anyway. What have I got to lose? Let's right. post it on whatever. I think at the time, like 2015, Instagram wasn't what Instagram is now. So mm. I was posting mostly on Facebook at the time. And so post on Facebook and tag Sara Lee Poundcake. And then I sent a direct message to Sara Lee Poundcake on Facebook and said, Hey, just want to let you know, I love your pound cake. Been a big fan for years. You know, here's the link to the post and here's, you know, here's what I've shared all yours. If you want to share it too. 
Um, and I didn't hear back from them, but then oddly enough, I can't remember exactly the timeline, but I feel like it was within the next month or two, they reached out and said, Hey, we really love those photos. You shot us like kind of this other group. We don't need photos, but the corn dog division, because <laughs> state fair corn dogs has the same marketing firm handling certain amount of, um, content and photos and things like that. And they said, can we, can we send your information over there and connect you with these people? And so that actually turned into one of my first big like big name shoots shooting for state wow. corn dogs um before i even really knew what i was doing and i think back to that i'm like oh my lord what i didn't know but um but i learned you know and i think that so much of it is like you know we get so keyed up of like am i ready for this moment and it's you're like ready you're ready because yeah. i you know <laughs> I think back and I go, oh man, so many things I didn't know. But at the same time, like we're not curing cancer. We're not saving lives. Like this is mm -mm. food photography. What's yes. the worst that's going to happen, right? Like they hate the photos and they say, I'm sorry. Like, can we have our money back? Okay, great. Right. You know, right. like if that's the worst that's going to happen, then I feel like <laughs> um, that's, that, that's not that bad. So no. uh, that, that strategy worked time and again for many, many clients. Um, some of which I've, you know, kind of had to move on because my pricing has um, now advanced Changed. to a place yeah, <laughs> since when, when I first started. Um, but that has always been a great strategy and I think continues to be a great strategy. I think there's a lot more people doing that. So you have to be a bit more um, uh, thoughtful in terms of those reaching out. And I think too, you know, I, I watch people and they say, oh, I'm pitching, but like, are you actually reaching out to people? And are you being intentional um, mm -hmm. about like, look at the LinkedIn page of that company mm -hmm. and see who's working there and who's in marketing and who's in advertising? Like who, who are some of those different players? Every company is going to be structured differently. So there's not like a specific roadmap to say where to start. Um, but I would say too, something that was another great strategy for me. And I think this is informed probably on geographically where you're located. Phoenix is a, you know, it's the fifth largest city in America. Mm -hmm. People don't always know that. We think we're a little podunk, but we're not. Oh, you're uh, not. You're warm and you're hot <laughs> and you are big and flat. We're fifth largest. Exactly. Yes, for sure. So, but, um, but, uh, it, finding opportunities to connect with local purveyors, local companies. And I'm not talking the farmer's market folks. Now the farmer's market folks and the super small, like micro businesses can be a great place to build your portfolio and collaborate and maybe do some pro bono work, things yep. like that. Um, but looking for like, for me here in Phoenix, Shamrock Farms, they're a local um, dairy, although they're regional at this point, they're actually fairly large, but the players are physically here. Mm -hmm. um, they're easier to access than say going after craft foods or even Sara Lee pound cake or some of those bigger uh, you know, multinational brands. Um, so, you know, go for those companies that you may have an easier way to access them because they're not going to have the layers of agencies involved too. Mm. They're not going to have the layers of complexity of their marketing team. Like there's going to be one, if you can find a company where there's one person handling all the marketing stuff, that's going to make your job easier to then target and get connected. Um, but yeah, I mean, just get out there and start pitching, start connecting, start serving, start showing people, you know, here's what I do. Here's what I can offer 
offer. And I would say if you can also start to incorporate other unique offerings in what it is that you do, you know, we do food photography and recipe development, or I do mm. food photography and video and I do stop motion or I do, you know, like thinking about how you can diversify those skills as well um, can be, you know, I've done a lot of video for clients over the years and have been thankful to have that skill set because it's, um, it goes together well and means you can charge more for what you're doing. And that's always great because I, I agree with you. You can't just lean on one thing. And I love what you said because being intentional and tagging the company on Instagram is one thing, but there's so many, so many people get tagged in so much stuff. It's going to fall through the cracks. You have to follow up. You have to go to LinkedIn, add those marketing directors, add those people. I totally agree with you. Great, great advice. Yeah. All right. Kristen in Texas says, this is a good one. The other day I was trying to shoot white coconut popsicles with a white backdrop and white pieces of coconut. The yeah. shot would not come together. I wonder why, <laughs> Kristen. Monochromatic. Do you have any tips when shooting white on white on white on white? Yes, it's all about the lighting. 100% all about the lighting. And I would say to the layers, um, that you're creating, but you could even do it. Like I'm just sitting here visualizing, thinking that, you know, you could just have like the white popsicles on a white background, you know? And so thinking about how are, are there variations of textures in those things, mm. you know, um, a highly textured background with a really slick popsicle, one thing, as opposed to a popsicle that's got like a lot of texture to it, like those homemade ones. And there's like all the little air bubbles and oh, things like that. So those. thinking about, um, the variation, of the texture, or if you need to introduce something like, okay, maybe I need to like slide some parchment under that, or I need to do something to help um, separate it from mm -hmm. the other things in the image, but then lighting 100%. Because if, you know, one of the places where I see so many folks go wrong, I mean, we love our light. A lot of folks love light and airy. A lot of folks love dark and moody, love people love in between, you know, everybody's got what they love, right? But um, for the folks who love the light and airy and are trying to accomplish that, one of the places where they go wrong so many times is that they're adding too much light from too many directions mm. to the scene that then you lose any sort of contrast and clarity. Um, and, you know, so many people think, oh, it's my lens but it's really not your lens. It's your lighting before it's your lens. 100% every time. Like, I can't tell you how many people I teach lighting to. And then they go, oh my gosh, my camera is amazing. And I'm like, I know you've got great tools. Right. You get you good lighting. So um, for that white on white on white, uh, you would want to make sure, even if the whole thing is super bright, that you have enough um, contrast by thinking about, okay, what, you know, if you're working with artificial light, what modifier are you using? How is it creating... Um, um, you know, enough depth in those shadows that, mm -hmm. you know, if you've got a big old light source, like a big old window or a big soft box off to one side, and then you've got a big old bounce card on the other side, and you're filling in every shadow that exists in that scene, <laughs> then it's just going to feel flat. And then you're not going to see the separation, right? You're right. Not gonna Able to differentiate the popsicle from the background from you know the coconut chips and all the other things so um, really just ensuring that you have lighting that has shadows in it looking at your histogram mm. are there any dark tones present if there aren't that's an indication to you that you need to do something that's going to add some shadow and I'm not talking like dramatic shadow I'm mm -mm. just talking about something that's going to help to contribute to that depth so maybe you need to introduce some black cards um, or if you've you know there's a video I've done which, you know, people like mind is blown understanding if you're shooting in a room where you've got light bouncing up off the ceiling, you've got a white ceiling and it's not super high that, you know, putting a black card above the scene 
and to help prevent some of that fill light getting in and it helps mm. to just sharpen up those shadows, make everything feel a little crisper. I love that. We'll tag the video in the show notes for yeah. our friend, Kristen, um, Michelle from Instagram writes, what are your top three food styling tips that some people might not know about? Ooh, top three food styling tips. I would say, um, thinking about what's in the book. Yeah. Um, one that came to mind that I don't think I've shared in any videos and I don't even think I've told anybody this <gasps> time. Not even in the book. <gasps> Maybe it is. I can't even remember. <laughs> You'll have to tell me. If this okay. Is book. Okay. So it's on the meats chapter. And of course, mm -hmm. meats drive everybody crazy. So yeah. the steak that's in that image, um, you know, I was thinking about, okay, how am I going to prepare this steak? And suddenly I had this little aha moment that I should sous vide the steak and then sear it afterward. So that, you know, so it's the, the reverse sear process for anybody who's a, you know, steak nerd or a sous vide nerd. Um, but by cooking it sous vide enabled me to get like the perfect temperature on the inside of the steak. And then because it held, then it wasn't as rapidly changing as opposed to putting it on a super hot grill and taking it off, right? Like you have that temperature differential, which really contributes to then the change of the look of the meat once you slice into it. Yeah. So you're going to have a lot more forgiveness. So, you know, if you're doing a lot of meats and a lot of steak, steak specifically, um, or other red meats is that it's going to be a lot easier um, if you've got a sous vide. So that is one. That's a juicy uh, one. Literally. That's a, that's, a, that's a great one. <laughs> Another uh, pun intended. That one didn't, I wasn't trying to be funny. <laughs> I can't help oh, it. That's who I am. Of other, oh man, so many little tips and tricks. I mean, I feel like one of my, one of the things that I do a lot, because there are just so many and every food is so unique and different um, in the way that, you know, the different foods behave. But um, one of the books that I love and I recommend is Food Styling by Dolores Custer. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is a fantastic book. And it is like the, the encyclopedia of of food styling. And it's so funny because I've recommended that book in the past and people will buy it and then they'll go, oh, this is very overwhelming. And I'm like, no, don't try to read it cover to cover, right? Like this is like an encyclopedia. Don't read it cover to cover. Just, I mean, you can start out the first couple chapters, but once you get into the foods, like only then reference like, oh, I'm shooting pancakes today. Okay. Let's see what Dolores has to say about pancakes. And she's got pages on pancakes and pages on, <laughs> uh, you know, popsicles and frozen things and different ways to do different things for different purposes. And wow. I mean, she's like that next level of advertising photography, food styling. So where we're getting even more into the nitty gritty, as opposed to like editorial style, where we're a little bit more freewheeling and having fun. So mm -hmm. I feel like that's also maybe a part of the tip from food styling is one of the, uh, we're going to make this tip number three. One of the it. places is understanding then to what is the purpose of your image and what is the, the placement and the use of this image. Um, you know, so many people get into try to perfecting things or doing things in a specific way that's not intended for the kind of photography you're doing. So really having a solid understanding of what is the purpose of this image? Is this an image to capture lunch? Cause I'm here at a restaurant. Like we don't need to like, you know, do all the crazy food styling stuff that we would do if this was going on, a, you know, his Budweiser campaign going into Times Square, you yeah. know? So like there's different applications and understanding what's like, what's the amount of effort required <laughs> and the amount of perfecting. And, um, cause I do like to, I don't, I don't like to do too much 
like trickery, you know, in terms of food styling, but, um, you know, certainly some of those things like, you know, really picking quality ingredients and, you know, undercooking the meats a bit to make things look a little plumper and, yeah. you know, thinking about visually, uh, how things are going to show up and, you know, my little Evian mister, everybody's, I feel like that's always like a, what is that? What is she using? You know? So I've got, I, you can use little atomizers and different little spritz and spray bottles and any like pro food stylist will have like 10 different spray bottles because they'll produce different looks and different things. But um, my favorite go-to is just the little Evian misting spray and it's stupid expensive, but it's <laughs> it like, you're bougie girl. <laughs> I know it's super bougie, but the, the, but the, the like the perfect, yeah. it's like yeah. the perfect amount of spray and yeah. like the droplets. It's like, I mean, this is when we're like super nerds, but it lasts like you buy a little can of it for like 20 bucks, but it'll last you like a whole year. And That's I, awesome. I mean, it's last me a whole year. So, yeah. And um, it goes back to what your, your YouTube video that you posted today about, um, and we're recording this, this will be next week. So it was last week's YouTube video about the action. And like yeah. you, you talk in the video about how the Jamie Oliver one and how, like, you're like, what, what is this supposed to capture? You're supposed to capture somebody's home. You're in somebody's home and the way the water was falling underneath the colander and things like that. Like, <laughs> I think that's a great point when you're styling shoots that, what are you trying to, what is the image trying to portray? Yeah. You know, what are we doing this for? What's the, what's the reason we're doing this? You know, totally, totally. Okay. Madison from Instagram writes, I'm new to writing proposals. Do you think it's better to just do one price for everything? Or do you like line item everything out by any chance? Will you be doing a YouTube series or a course on proposal writing and what the industry is charging? I know the answer to this because I saw the email today. You just got an email this morning about literally. It. <laughs> so great question. <laughs> So I, uh, yeah, I have been working behind the scenes. It's taken me a while because I really wanted something, you know, there's so many resources out there on pricing and estimates that um, kind of give you high level overviews. But I was like, no, we need to get in the weeds. We need to get dirty and we need to like have conversations around it. We need to connect people because I think that our industry is in such a funny place right now, you know, like this collision of the way it's always been done mm -hmm. in commercial and advertising photography, and then sort of this new wave of content creation and influencer marketing. And like all of this is sort of like jumbled up together. And there are so many more photographers now who are, you know, coming into this through all variety of different avenues that they aren't coming through more traditional, you know, agency work and things. So it's, it's, there's this crazy collision going on. And so I feel like I'm, I'm here to present and I'm put, I've put together a course <laughs> that goes through all of the, it's complicated, all of the, it depends and all of those mm -hmm. details details. Um, but then also creating a space for real conversations to happen around this, because I think that there's so many different perspectives, depending mm -hmm. on what part of the market you're serving, depending on the kinds of clients that you're working with, depending on your experience level, depending on all, like all these different factors. Um, and so, uh, yeah, profitable pricing is the course it is in depth. It has all the tools that I use for creating my own pricing. It has, you know, actual estimates that I have put together and shared and won. Um, so it's not, it's not the, you know, it's not just theoreticals, it's ones that have happened and that I've done in the last year. Um, and then creating a space for people to connect. So that one is coming out actually. So July 16th. So that <gasps> Perfect. is- Perfect. 
goes live. So it will awesome. be for enrollment. Uh, and I'm really, really excited about it. I've started sharing, um, you know, some key people getting their eyes on it. And they're like, this is exciting. I'm like, I know finally, cause it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little daunting cause I feel a big responsibility to, um, do this right. And to do this in a way that is helpful for our industry. And that isn't just leaving people in the lurch. Um, cause it, you know, pricing is complicated. And so to answer though, the kind of the first part of that question mm. is, um, every estimate in terms of the world of commercial photography and, uh, food photography. So when we're doing work for businesses as opposed to consumers, so we're not talking wedding photography, mm -hmm. we're not talking senior portraits, things like that. Um, is that every estimate is going to be unique based on that particular client because there is no one size fits all in the work that we do. You know, mm -hmm. there have been photo shoots where we spend an entire day on one single photo. Mm -hmm. And there have been photo shoots where I get into a restaurant and I shoot, you know, hundred images in two hours, you know? So how do you gauge all that? So those are the tools that are in the course. And, you know, it was people like, oh, just turn it into a YouTube video. But I'm like, this is hours of content at this point. And this is stuff that I'm like, for the price of admission, you are going to make that back tenfold in your next photo shoot Oh yeah, <laughs> with these tools and skills. So, um, so yeah, so that is coming soon, but in, as far as like line iteming versus, versus doing an entire package, it depends on the client. Um, so I would say clients who are more savvy, we're talking about agencies, we're talking about, um, you know, people who hire photographers regularly, then they're typically going to want to see those line items, see things like licensing broken out separately and the usage and like all those little nitty gritty details. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to see the hairstylist. They're going to want to see the, you know, food and beverage and all the different things as opposed to, you know, a smaller brand or a smaller company who's, you know, they don't hire photographers a lot and we don't want to make them feel like they're getting nickel and dime. So presenting a package price then um, that encompasses everything from your time, the amount of money it's going to take for you to produce that work. Um, as well as if you're including some sort of licensing, because I don't think we apply licensing um, in terms of fees to every client that's mm -hmm. only going to apply to those larger clients. So help it, helping to navigate all that. And that is inside the profitable awesome. pricing course. <laughs> and I will link that in the show notes. And I think just one other aside, have converse, have lengthy conversations, take the time to have really good conversations with your clients because don't glaze over it. Like, I think a lot of times we get super excited that we have a client that we have a proposal to do. <laughs> and we're like, yes, I'll you're bit, like biting at the, the bit or however the saying yeah. goes. Yeah. And, and you, you're like, oh yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it for a thousand bucks. Sure. You want 400 shots? No problem. Thousand bucks done. And then you're the next thing you know, you're like, what the hell was I thinking? Well, I can't do this. Right. Cause then when you get into it and you realize how much really is expected oh. and what it is they actually need. Oh. And if you know that after you've already delivered pricing, you're going to be in a situation where you're going to go, when can this shoot be over? <laughs> I never want to do this again. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so totally. Yeah. All right. Really good game plan. And now let's hear a word from our sponsor. It's been really hot here in New England. So grilling is a must. Last night we grilled this incredible ribeye and we had the most perfect wine from Wine Access. Paired with it, the Bedrock Old Vine Zin, the 2019. It has notes of like black raspberry and pomegranate and plum and hints of cardamom and clove. It went so beautifully with this ribeye. Red wine during the summer is a 
total must in our house. I love how accessible Wine Access makes finding great wine. The content they curate on each of these wines is incredible. It makes it so easy to pick out a wine that is suitable to our palates and learn about pairings and everything else. And did you know that if any bottle fails to impress, Wine Access will credit that bottle back to you? Seriously, start exploring some great wines. Your taste buds will thank you. And I've got an exclusive offer for just my listeners. $20 off your first order of $50 or more. Just go to wineaccess.com slash foodadventures and you can shop all of my picks that I picked out for you. Don't wait. For that $20 off, go now to wineaccess.com slash foodadventures. And now back to the show. Right. Leah from Facebook writes, will you make a food styling series one day? (laughs) Food styling series. So this is, uh, you know, it's so funny because I think that we go back to like, what is food styling? Um, I feel like different people have different definitions of what food styling means. Um, In the traditional sense, when we talk about commercial and advertising photography, um, you know, we talk about like hiring a food stylist and those people are, they have the ninja skills. They usually have, you know, some sort of ability in terms of um, cooking and preparing the food, but maybe they are also working with a home economist. Like the food styling can get into really complicated territory as opposed to what I think, um, you know, a lot of folks who are content creators creating for blogs creating for themselves um, or working with smaller brands or companies, you know, it, it gets more into the realm of like prop styling and composition almost more so. And so a lot of times, you know, kind of gauging which, which avenue are you looking for? Are you looking for more of that high end? Like you want to be, you know, brushing the right. glisten on the burger for Burger King? Or do you want to know how to place your napkins so that they look free flowing in the scene, right? Like those are mm-hmm. two different definitions to me of styling. Um, so there are some great resources out there. Susie Eaton, she is a professional professional food stylist, works in Vegas, LA, like she flies all over the country, does amazing work. Um, and she has a course that is literally the in-depth on, on the foods. It's kind of like Dolores Custer's book, but mm. in a video format. Um, but if you're looking more for like the nuances of style, like how to put all the props together, how to pick the backgrounds, how to make everything work together, then I refer to composition essentials from Rachel from Two Love Studio, because that really does kind of get at styling from more of that props perspective. So um, certainly I love to do, yeah, more food styling content, but I would also say, you know, it's, it's again, it's like, what, what are we getting at when we want food styling? So for those who want food styling content, I would love to hear, like, I don't know, what, do you have a perspective on what, like what people are asking for when they want food styling content? No, you know, I think it, like you're saying, it's the same people who think that they need to buy a $10,000 phase one camera to get the shot that you're getting right and you're like no you can buy a used camera from any place and you don't need the ten thousand dollar lens either to go with that like Mm -hmm. it's so I, i think you're right my guess is it's probably more on prop and composition than mm-hmm. food styling because the, the, there's such a finite amount of people who literally want to paint on right. food right you know and like you're th- that's when you're you have 16 different kinds of tweezers that you are touching those sesame <laughs> seeds one these- at a time you know oh. and i mean 
<laughs> you have to be such a type A type person to enjoy doing that. I am not that. I'm like, where's the drip? How can I catch the drip right? Ah, just smear it. Oh, well, I'll take it out and post. It's all I good. Know. You know? And amazing. I mean, yeah. And so I think yeah, it kind of depends on that content, but, but to answer the short answer to that question is absolutely. I'll do more from the perspective of composition and prop styling and set styling as well as, uh, as well as food. So awesome. More to come uh, on. <laughs> Jen, Ashley, Mark, Kenya, and Leah from Facebook and Instagram want to know it's a burning question. Ooh. What is your favorite dish slash prop to use in styling? Oh, yes. Okay. So there's the, well, there's definitely like, if you look at the props collection, right? Like there's some fan favorites, there's some frequent flyers. There are. So I feel like, um, so there's this, these plates from, uh, KJ pottery. They're based out of Spokane, Washington. Uh, and I love their plates and the speckly ones. Yep. They're yep. so pretty. They're just they so are. cute and they're really sturdy. So I don't have to really worry about them as much. Um, those, I feel like they just food photographs beautifully on them. <laughs> they're, it does. Not, they're not matte per se, but they are a little more dull in comparison to like a high shine. Um, I'm sure if I just looked around, there's <laughs> definitely some that get used more than others. Um, I feel like those are the little, like there's the hearth and home or whatever. What's the yeah. Joanna Gaines one yeah, on, in target. Yeah. So there's like the little, um, dip bowls. Yeah. I feel like those are just always peeking in corners from different Absolutely. places. And but, they have, is those the ones that have like the little wonky edges on them too, <laughs> a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She really nailed it with those ones. She so did. those are, those are definitely some faves. And, but honestly, like in terms of stuff that I just love to have, and I feel like makes its way in all the time, um, it's just parchment paper. You know, I feel like you can two different some- kinds. You got to have both colors <laughs> brown and white. And white. You got exactly. <laughs> have the both. Um, those, those are definitely favorites. Um, and then in terms of like, like uh, forks and knives and things like that. There's a set that I got from Crate and Barrel, Crate and Barrel, I think. Either mm-hmm. it's Crate and Barrel or West Elm, but they kind of have this great sort of texture to them. I can send you a link to them. Mm-hmm. So- check it out. Um, but they're also not too big. They're just the right size. Uh, and I actually, I bought those when I was doing the book. And so those have been new, like personal faves and they just end up, I think in every other food photo. Cause <laughs> I feel like, like, we got to switch it up <laughs> and they don't have like a lot of design or a yeah. lot of they're just like the perfect little fork to just pop right in there and you're good to go. So, and it's affordable, like crate and barrel stuff's not yeah, you know, it's not Neiman Marcus. Like it, it's not still great. affordable enough. Yeah. Steven in California asks, this is a great question. I, they're all great questions, but this one I can relate to. I feel like I get into ruts with my photography. What do you do when you get bored with your food photography? Mm, absolutely. That Buy happens. new props. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, honestly, something I've been doing recently is just doing things different, you know, like differently. Um, you know, I'm, I'm such a hardcore fan for good reason of artificial light, but I've been doing more natural light stuff. Like today's video that I posted, people like, Oh, it's just, what's she, what's going on? This is like two weeks in a row with natural light. What are you doing over there? I'm like, True. I thought the same thing, but, but it really like, honestly, it, it helps strengthen skills that I hadn't used in a while. Cause bless the natural light, but it changes. And so I'm All like, Oh, this is why we're like, people ask so much about white balance. Cause natural light drives you crazy with white balance. It does. Um, 
chasing it around, but I feel like, you know, it, it, uh, it challenged me in new ways and I looked at things differently. Um, and I would say too, you know, just looking at finding different sources of inspiration, you know, going into cookbooks versus going into Instagram, going into art museums, as opposed to going into Instagram. Like I would say is as spending less time on Instagram and Pinterest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, for some reason, I've never been drawn to Pinterest. It's the funniest thing ever. I'm not, you know, some, I think we all have our different mm-hmm. things that we get sucked into, but if there's one pool, you're always kind of looking at, um, and looking at things that aren't like looking at photography, that's not food. You know, I feel like I look at, um, landscape photography or even just paying attention again, being that in-flight, you know, menu and being like, Oh, who photographed this? I'm like, where's the photo <laughs> credit on the on the, to-go the menu. burrito. I need to know. I know if I could figure that out, I don't even remember when that happened, but uh, awesome. there's definitely a couple of photographers who I know who do that kind of work. And so I stock, I stock their work and I'd say, yeah, to kind of expanding your horizons of who are some other food photographers outside of, um, you know, kind of those, those usual, usual suspects. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's great. Um, Renee in Chicago writes, one of the things I struggle with the most from time to time is self-confidence with my work and trying not to compare my work with others or where I am in, <clears throat> in my career with others that I follow on social media and in the industry. This is very timely that we're talking about this. Is is this something you have struggled with before? And if so, how did you overcome it? Oh, I mean, I don't know if I've overcome it, right? Like, I feel like... Um, yeah, it's, it's very hard. And I would say it's, it's so much harder because it's so much easier to compare yourself to others. And I do, you know, I think there's a fine line, right? Because I think that it is important to see what's happening out there and understand trends and understand what's going on and be informed. Um, but I also like, I've been on a three week hiatus of Instagram and it's been incredibly life-giving and I've, you know, I, it took me a couple of days. I felt like it was some sort of like, you know, addict had to come down for a couple Big days time. just to disconnect from it and feeling like very anxious about that whole process. And like, <gasps> what am I missing? What's happening? Yeah. And big time I'm- FOMO. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm going to become irrelevant and nobody's going to, you know, it's like all these, all these things that, you know, it's, it's hard when you're kind of addicted to, to checking all that out. So, um, you know, if you haven't done it in a while, take a break from it all and just, you know, it's all going to still be there. And the other thing too, I always think about, and I feel like helps me not get too wound up in my own head about what's happening right now. I mean, there's, there's a number of things, um, but I always try to think about the long game. Like Mm. this is the right now, but let's think about 10 years from now. Like I'm not just even talking like next year, I'm talking 10 years, right? Like what, if I keep doing what I'm doing in terms of improving my skills and investing in myself and learning and doing work and showing up like, damn, 10 years is going to look freaking amazing. Right. Like yeah. that's amazing. Cause even I look back like where I was a year ago and it's like, wow, I've grown so much, you know? And so thinking 10 years, so always keeping that longer perspective, that long view, um, in mind. And I think too, it, you know, something that always, <laughs> this is like the wackiest thing ever. <laughs> and it's like a little joke around the house, but you know, something that I've always taken with me that I think that helps to propel me is realizing how incredibly small all of this really is. Um, You know, I always say in the vast spectrum of the space-time continuum, all of this is a blip on the radar, right? Like this is such a small 
thing. And, but we can get so incredibly invested. And I think it's that, that, uh, paradox and that balance of like, yes, this is incredibly important and means a lot to me. And, it, but at the same time, like it's also so small, right? I, and because I don't think that you can go to either end of the spectrum, right? You mm -hmm. can't go with, oh, it's all meaningless and not important or, oh, this is the most important thing ever. So I think it's a balance of the two and being able to find yourself somewhere in the in-between um, can help, I think helps helps keep me grounded. Um, you know, and, and, you know, something that I think really I go back to getting through, I remember being super anxious going into junior high. So sixth grade into seventh grade here in the U S you go from elementary mm -hmm. school into junior high. And I remember at the time going, I, like, I'm going to fail junior high. Like, this is such a scary transition. Like, how am I going to ever like, uh, I'm going to be a <laughs> junior high dropout, um, which made no sense, but you know, yeah. we only we, beauty school. You can only drop out of beauty school, not junior high. <laughs> I had to, I had but to. I, just like in anything, right? Like right. we make these things out to be really overwhelming and really scary and talk ourselves out of it. But I remember at that time, and this will, you know, kind of be telling of again, my age, but I was watching the wonder years was sure. on television and Fred Savage, who's, you know, the main character. And it was like, well, he's in junior high. And if Fred Savage can do it and make survive junior high, yeah. I can too. Right. With Winnie Cooper. It's like this little dose of encouragement. And so I always look to, I, I feel like I've continued that mentality throughout my life of like, anytime I'm like, I don't know, like grad school, this feels very overwhelming, but there's a lot of other people who are not as smart as I am who have made it through <laughs> grad school. And yeah. there's a lot of other people not as you know, smart as I am, <laughs> who have built successful food photography careers or, yeah. you know, and I'm here to say like, I am not some sort of genius. I am not some sort of like miraculous human being that's so, um, you know, got some sort of secret that's allowed me to create this food photography business. So Joni can do it. You, you can do it too. So, um, I feel like always kind of having that mentality and having grace with yourself. Cause you know, you're, you're never going to be 100. I don't know. I mean, there's definitely some images that I go, oh, that's a kick-ass image. I really yeah. like that. But, um, by and large, I'm mostly always seeing the flaws. Always, always. And it, it takes sometimes years for you to go back and be like, oh yeah, I actually do really like that image. That's I actually, know. I, know. I, I mean, <laughs> like you take it, you think you got it in camera or, you know, in capture one, and then you go back to edit it a week later or whenever. And you're like, what was I thinking? This isn't working out. Oh my God. And then you send it off to the client. They're like, oh, it looks great. You're like, okay, great. I'm glad I just, just skim by with that. And then like two years later, you're like, wow, that's a really good image. I, I know that, that was great. That. What was I, being what was I thinking about? Yeah, yeah. totally. So and the other so thing hard. you said earlier at the top about the book is having a core group of people that you trust and that love you and want to see you succeed. And you can lean on them and be vulnerable with them and be like, I, I'm, I want to burn this whole thing down. My life sucks. I don't want to pick up a camera again. I don't know what I'm doing. And they're like, you fucking amazing at this. <laughs> Shut totally, up. Like, totally. And I think that's something that we all need from time to time. All right. Alana from Facebook writes, do you have any tips when purchasing things for a photo shoot, food, props, everything, and not going overboard? I always feel like I buy way too much and only use half of it. If that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Don't buy so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I feel like you might need it. You might need it. That's always the hard thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, 
Yeah. I, I would rather have too much than not enough. There was a photo shoot we did last year for a, um, there's a trade organization in the food industry and we were working on a magazine of theirs we had nine shots and you know, there's a lot of snacks mm. that we were featuring and, and nut milks. It was a, interesting anyway. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the food stylist, you know, I, she did all the shopping and, you know, and we always, she always buys more than we need, obviously, because that's, that's going to help to ensure that we don't need to be running out in the middle. Back of the to the store again, right. Going and buying yeah. more. Um, but we really like way overbought and she was so apologetic, but I'm like, no, it's fine. Like, again, I would rather have more here. And so, I mean, hopefully to, you know, I think there is sort of this challenge in terms of, from a sustainability standpoint and from, um, you know, budgeting standpoint. So I say, it depends on if you're shooting for a client or shooting for yourself. If shooting for a client, in theory, you have a budget, so that's going to curb a certain amount of that purchase. But if you're shooting for yourself, you know, setting a budget for like what is reasonable to um, to do for this shoot, so that that's also helping your bottom line and your expenses and keeping that all in check. So I feel like that that's a good equalizer is the budget. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, as far as like an exact science and an exact formula, I don't know that I have one. Um, and so if you've got extra, hopefully that's food that you can freeze or that you can use for a later date or give to friends and family, or, right. you know, there's a local, um, soup kitchen that we work with here. That's, you know, five minutes from our house that sometimes we volunteer at, but they're great. As long as we haven't opened certain packages and things like that, like they will accept those donations and be mm. able to utilize those. So also plugging into, um, you know, local community efforts can also on the, that's awesome. the offloading of food. <laughs> I love that. Khalees in New York writes, I'm so sick of potential clients fighting back with pricing. Do you have any tips on how to negotiate contracts with clients and how not to discount your work? Mm, I mean, I feel like I'm just really clear on where my boundaries are on mm -hmm. numbers and, and I don't take it as a personal a front, um, you know, when, when the pricing <laughs> doesn't work out, um, you know, and there's, there's sometimes when it's like, you've, I, I mean, there, oh man, the, the conversation could go for hours on this one. Um, so how to keep it brief. I know, but, right. <laughs> I think that, yeah, it's knowing where your non-negotiables are, where, where is your bar, where's your barrier, what do you need from a profit standpoint to make this a profitable job? Um, also really having a good solid understanding of if they're gonna, if they're gonna ask you to give something up that, that like, that's a, it's a two-way street. Like I'm not just going to give you a discount without you having to give up something in return. Um, so always like, I feel like that's something that I'm always thinking about as I'm putting together numbers. And I mean, this is something I've been doing since I started working in sales, right? Like mm -hmm. how can I put maybe some extra things in here that I'm willing to give up that when they come into this negotiation and they say, oh, we can't quite meet that budget that then I can say, okay, uh, cool. Can we, are you willing to give these things up in exchange for that? Is that less shots? Is that mm -hmm. less, you know, if this is a situation where we're limiting our duration of time, because this is a bigger client, like, can we negotiate that? So always thinking about how can I just put a couple extra things in this first estimate <laughs> so right. that they come back and want to take those numbers down that I have something that I'm 
very, you know, can very easily get up, give up. And then it feels like a two way street. So it doesn't just feel like you're conceding. Right. Um, but it, yeah, I feel like too, it's just having a good understanding of like, you know, people, I, and I understand it. Like, I totally get it when you're like, I'm out here knocking on all these doors and then I get an opportunity and then the pricing doesn't work. And, and then you, you feel so defeated and you feel like my pricing is wrong. And I would say more often than not, it's just maybe, and it's not the right client, right? right. Like if there's somebody who wants me to do this work for less than I know I'm worth, then that's okay. That's totally fine. There may be other photographers for them. Go be intentional about going and finding clients that are at the level and can understand um, and can appreciate what it is that you're charging for the work. Cause they, they absolutely do exist. And in this day and age, there's such a demand for content, for creativity. And like, I keep saying it and I'm like, yo, pay attention. This is the best time in the history of the world to be a creative person. And the demand is only like, we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of content and imagery and visuals. Like the internet has exploded this open and there's going to be, I mean, it's, it's a roller coaster and like, like buckle up, here we go guys. And so, um, you know, don't, don't be afraid because too, you know, I watch folks take jobs that they're being underpaid for. And then that's an opportunity cost because there are potentially other jobs that you're not pursuing or that you don't have the time to market towards or those better quality clients. Cause you're down here spending umpteen bajillion hours on something that's paying you less than you could make working at Starbucks, you know? Yeah. So, um, really being thoughtful about assessing, assessing the value of a project like that and sticking to your numbers and, you know, talking to, uh, you know, Andrew Scrivani, a lot of folks know him. He had said the other couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, if you're not losing more than half, you know, at least half the deals that are coming in, like you're undercharging, right? You should be losing deals. If you're winning every deal that comes across your desk, you're not charging enough, you know, and wow. if, you know, I'm always too in that position where when I deliver pricing and then if somebody comes back and says, okay, sounds great. Then I go crap because I know <laughs> what I did I leave on the on table? Right. Yes, there's right. Money, there was still money there to be had. So, um, and, and getting clear too, before we even get into the conversation of putting together an estimate, asking what is their budget and getting a sense of if this is even somebody, you know, I made this mistake a couple of weeks ago, I had an incoming inquiry for food photography. And I, uh, you know, I said, oh, okay, great. Let's get on a phone call. Cause that's always my first step. Let's yep. have a conversation. Let's talk through what you want. So I can put together numbers. Um, um, and, and all of the signs pointed to this was an established business. Yeah. This was something that I was like, okay, this could, this could be this somebody. Legit. Yeah. I can sort of, I mean, at this point in time, I can sort of screen it. I can go, sure. you know, there can be inquiries that come in from like Instagram that I go, yeah, no, like this, like they're yeah. great, but that's not the client for me. Cause I know they're just not even going to be able no. to afford the They have like a hundred dollars for their budget. Right. Like this that's not, not even. Right. Un, uh, no. Right. And you no. can kind of start to gauge that over time. And yeah. again, it's all on a sliding scale, depending mm -hmm. on your experience and where you're at in the market. But, um, but based on the sniff test, I was like, okay, this is going to be fine. Um, and so we get on the call and all of a sudden start asking more questions and I go, oh no, oh, no. no but that's okay. Yeah. And so 
I had already committed to the conversation and I was like, all right, we'll put together numbers. But sure enough, like I already knew based on like, they had just launched the company like a month before. And oh. so that was, again, like I'm super excited for them. But then I knew at that point, like I'm going to be way outside their budget. And so I yeah. still put together those numbers because, you Why know. Not? Why not? Right. I've got a good system at this point and can put it all together. Um, and it's a good exercise, but I, uh, yeah, I delivered the numbers and sure enough, they're like, oh, great. Thanks. And I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> I could, right. And <laughs> yeah. so I think getting really clear on, is this somebody who's even going to be able to afford my services before we get into that conversation mm -hmm. and understanding, yeah, where, where are your, um, where are your numbers at? So, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Amy from Facebook writes, I'm building a styling kit. What are the must-haves for a food photographer when food photographer when it comes to a kit? Yeah, so my Evian spray bottle number Evian one. Spray bottle, yeah, bougie spray bottle bougie number spray one. Bottle. It's got a pink little top on it. It's adorable. I always lose the pink top though. The pink top I do too. is gone. Um, so uh, yeah, the Mister super nice for like salads and just when you need a little spritz and like great on citrus. You know when mm -hmm. you just uh, resurrect the the limes or the lemons, things like that. Um, so there's that. And then I love having some nice culinary tweezers. I keep losing them. I, the other day was like going to a shoot and I was like, I need to bring my tweezers. And I'm like, I have bought like 10 pairs of freaking tweezers this year, but, um, getting ones that you like, I think this is like a personal thing. And again, you know, we talk about pro food stylists, they have like 10 different tweezers oh, to yeah. me, like some that are those nice culinary ones that have kind of little bend. So yep. not like face tweezers, but no. like, no, they have some length to them. Yeah. Uh -huh. So you get the grabby effect. Yep. Um, Lint-free towels. So like even when I go to a restaurant and restaurants have towels, but a lot of times their towels have little fuzzies or little things that may leave behind. So just having like, I've just got some nice microfiber towels, like the car washing towels mm -hmm. or gray, other things like that. Um, makeup wedges, those little spongy Ooh. wedges, those make their way into all sorts of scenes in all sorts of different applications. If you just need something to be propped up a little bit or zhuzhed or poofed or what, it's like this great little, I, there's no end to the <laughs> makeup, wedge. makeup wedges. <laughs> And then sticky putty. So like the museum putty, um, it's that ticky tacky sort of stuff that just helps stuff hold when it's like that fork won't sit on the side of the bowl. That's going to work for the composition. I just need you to sit here, you know, or I need this flower to sit here on this bottle, or I need this to do this, you know, so that little sticky putty. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's everything in my basic crash kit. And I bring yeah. all that, like, I've just got a Ziploc bag that I'll pop all that in if I go to a restaurant shoot. And a lot of times I don't need all those things, but it's just nice to have in case you need a little spritz of something, you need oh, yeah. adjustment. So that's the no, practice. and the putty's great because it's reusable. So you yes. can buy it. I mean, it won't, it doesn't last a lifetime, but it's no. like eight less than ten dollars, and you'll get tons of use out of that ten dollars worth. I mean, of I feel like half the spoons in my props collection already have it underneath of it. <laughs> totally. <Yeah. laughs> You're I'm like, oh no, that's go. still good. Let me just warm it up. Yeah. All right. So often go. like the silverware will wander into the home kitchen <laughs> and then Ryan, like he will do the dishes and not realize like, this is not, this is this a prop is... spoon, not a home spoon. And he's like, what is on the bottom of this? I mean, he's learned at this point, but right. yeah. 
<laughs> oh yeah, no, we have that problem. Then we also have, I have to put post-it notes on everything that my husband Todd cannot eat. I'm like, you cannot <laughs> eat the pie. You can't, I'm like, I've, I have woken up and been like, that was for tomorrow's shoot. What the hell oh. happened to it? And he's like, it looked so good. The cherry pie, it was so, I was like, oh God. Sure it was, I'm sure, I'm sure it was. It was. Ah. Right? I know. Let's go make another all butter crust. Dang Carolina it. from Instagram writes, what do you do when you're having a hard time getting the shot? Oh, yeah. I know oh, that sigh, the sigh. I know, yeah. I know. You know, you feel it. And I, it happens all the time, mm-hmm. all the time, all the time. <laughs> you know, yeah. I feel like there is so frequent, there's very few shoots that you just like get in, you get the shot and you're like, we're good, right? Um, there's always going to be that moment at which you come across a frustration. I'm trying to remember what it was. There's what the exact shot was. I can't remember, but we were doing a a cookbook shoot this last year and it was me and a pastry chef. And, you know, we were hired by the author. The author wasn't with us. So it was just the two of us. And, you know, we, which makes it easier. That makes it a lot easier when no one's breathing down your neck. Right. And so we're doing our thing. And all of a sudden I was setting up the scene and he was doing, and these were like some very precarious desserts and complicated things. And (laughs) there was a certain point at which I'm like getting frustrated and it's not working right. Like in the setup, like the light, I can't remember what it was, but I was just that oh crap moment that I feel like I have on more shoots than I don't where you come in like, well, am I going to be able to figure this out? Um, And then meanwhile, he's over assembling this really complicated dessert thing. And he all of a sudden lets out this sigh and like, I don't know if, if this is going to work, you know? And I'm like, I feel that right now too, you know? And so we're like, Oh, and then we're like, we can do it, you know? And so we like rally together and we're like, yes. And then you just like, there's always just that little moment and you just have to go over the edge. Right. Cause then all of a sudden it's going to be there. And so Mm -hmm. you just kind of have to anticipate that that's going to happen and be okay with it. And like, if there are clients on set, cause it happens every time there's a client okay. on set, there's something not working and you just, you just anticipate it. Know that that's because it's very surprising the first time that happens to you and you go, oh. um, but just know that that's normal and then just keep, keep pushing, just keep showing up, keep doing it. Cause you do, you know, especially if you're shooting for a client, you do have to get the shot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and if you have to restart over, that's never a failure either. If mm-hmm. you have to like strip it back down, that's something I do quite frequently when it's like, this is not working. I just need to, let's get back to the surface. Mm-hmm. Let's rebuild, let's mm-hmm. rework it. And then you kind of take what you just learned and what didn't work and rebuild from there. Yeah. Cause the absolute worst thing is if you do a shoot and then you go home and then you go through it one more time with the photos and you're like, I, I, I thought I got it. I didn't get it. Like there's yeah. no takesies backsies. Like it's right. that's that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And like, get up, move around. Totally. Shake Reach a little, do something. Yeah. Yep. Take yep. a, take a beat, take a beat and know it's normal. I feel like anytime I can sit and go, Oh, I'm feeling this way. What's going to go? And they go, no, no, this is, this is a part of the process. This is just a part of the process. It's okay. You're going to be fine. And again, we're not not saving lives. It's fine. (laughs) No, no, we are not. The, I always call the, the heroes, the food heroes that are going to the shot, the actors coming to the set. And I'm like, where are my actors? And like, they die. Some of them die very quickly. Like <laughs> certain actors do not hold up well under pressure. No. 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 They are very high maintenance. Very high maintenance. <laughs> yes. 
Sean, Danny, Jessica, and Reagan from Instagram writes, when you're working on sets with a client, what are the things you always make sure you have for those just in case moments? <laughs> I mean, we kind of talked about that with the styling kit, but if there was anything else. Yeah. Um, you know, it is one of the reasons why I really like working from my own studio whenever possible. And I've had shoots. I mean, now, fortunately, we've built a bigger studio where we can have more. But I've hosted like full on photo shoots at my house, um, which I think has become more and more the norm. Like the client is at my house and that's OK. Um, and that is totally OK. Like yeah. people are like, can you do that? I was like, yeah, you yeah. absolutely can. And yeah. I mean, ask them, are you OK coming to my house? And yes, I will make sure the dog is at my in-laws and I'll make sure the kids aren't, you know, somewhere like, else, you know, make it a professional environment. Um, but it is one of the reasons I like working in my own space, because then I know like, you know, oh, crap, I need a snoot. Uh, guess what? I got one, you know, or, you know, granted, I don't need snoots very often, no. when, but when you do, when you do, when you do, I bet you have at least two. I only have one. -uh. Actually, I only have one. I, yeah. She's got a million things of diffusion material, but she's got uh, one snoot. One snoot. <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's so true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like it is one of the compelling reasons why it is nice to be in your own space. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, your styling kit, certainly some bounce cards. Like yeah. when, even when I think about things that I bring to a restaurant shoot with me, even when I'm trying to pack light, I'll still have a white card and a black card mm -hmm. just because you never know and I may not use them and that's okay mm -hmm. um in some sort of yeah depending on the kind of lighting scenario you're working with um you know having some sort of diffusion or some way to modify modify the light because if you mm -hmm. can modify the light you're pretty good and one yeah. of the things that I bring to a lot of restaurant shoots too is those roll-up backgrounds just mm -hmm. in case again mm -hmm. you know we've had the conversation in preparing for the photo shoot to understand what's the vision what's the look and maybe you've scouted the location but especially if you're working in a place where you've not worked before um, in like a restaurant situation is having something that you can guarantee I can get a great shot on this background because yeah. sometimes those orangey yellow backdrops or you know those tables in the restaurants are like high gloss <laughs> yellow and you're like this is not gonna work so mm -hmm. having you know something a bit more neutral or a bit easier to work with those can be real real butt savers yeah and they're easy to they're portable too so you're not mm -hmm. bringing huge slabs of marble or huge mm -hmm. slabs of wood Absolutely. or tile which we all have in our house but yeah going on site and i love to bring clean crisp napkins that have never been in the washing machine. I will always bring at least two. And I have stacks and stacks of napkins that will never go in the washing machine. And when they get <laughs> so disgusting that they have to go, then they go into the house and now they're in the home collection. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just get your little spot cleaner and yeah. you know, oh crap, I just spilled on it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those yeah. are, that's you got to. You got, and they can't ever go in the washing machine. Okay. We are wrapping it up with listener questions. Last one. Do you plan? Oh, sorry. John, Tamika, Leah, and Kara from Instagram asked, do you plan out all of your shoots or do you prefer to improvise them sometimes? A little bit of both. Ooh. I think that, um, you know, if it's, huh, a lot of times if it's work for myself, right? Which a lot of my YouTube content is and Instagram, you know, that, that then I'm a little bit more open to just kind of flying. Now I'll usually have some sort of shot list because that's my checklist to make sure like I get 
all of the assets that I need for the purpose mm -hmm. that I'm shooting. So, you know, the horizontal, the vertical, the close up, the far away that, you know, kind of sketching all that out and thinking through that in advance. Cause I think that your ideas can really, um, you know, help you before you even get there. But at the same time, like allowing for that, those moments of surprise, the things you hadn't planned for, mm -hmm. um, you know, there was something that I was shooting the other day for, for a video that's coming soon. And, you know, I, I kind of had a sense of what I was doing. I had a plan ish. I hadn't actually sketched anything, but I was working from some inspiration photos. Um, but then I just kind of was like freewheeling it and playing and having a good time. Right. As opposed to if I'm shooting for a client, like we have a game plan, I've oh, sketched yeah. things. I have it pretty solidly as much as possible, but there's also, you know, I think about like, there's been shoots where you can plan 50 ways Sunday, but then once you get there, like all that goes out the window and you go, okay, cool. This is what we're, this is what we're working with now, you know? So um, you know, like there was a cookbook shoot we did two years ago that, you know, had, there was 50 shots in it and we had, it was, and each shot was a different chef. So that oh. had some interesting complication and we were doing nine in a day. So it was kind of this like super, <laughs> super rapid speed chaos. Um, like I got to be a much stronger photographer after that photo shoot because wow. it was like on demand creativity and we could have a plan, but we didn't know exactly what the food was going to look like. Wow. before it showed up and we advised them like here's how much to bring and here's what to do but there was one restaurant that showed up and it was a sauce was the recipe and he brought enough in like a little two ounce container oh my gosh <laughs> no ingredients other than the sauce and then had a steak <laughs> one steak one little like and it's like brown on brown on brown really buddy all right. So we had like all, I was like, oh, we'll do the sauce and we'll have like all these, uh, nope, all that went out the window. And so we were like, all right, let's, let's figure it out. You know? So I feel yeah. like having the ability, like if you always plan your shoots out, like give yourself some opportunities to do a little bit more of the free form, because I think that, you know, if you, you there's going to be situations that call on that. Um, but then, you know, if you're always shooting free form, try, try throwing some organization on top of that and see how much more you get out of it. Cause I do think you can also produce more when you have more of a mm -hmm. game plan going in. Totally. So, I don't know if that's you, if you too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I actually like free form. I mean, I plan every shoot with a client, like down to right. as much detail as possible. But when I shoot for myself, I will get an idea of the assets I want to capture. But then after that, I would rather just kind of go with the flow because that's part of the fun of being creative. And like, I like seeing what I shoot with artificial light, I rarely shoot with natural light. And I like trying new things and I'm always learning and growing as a human. So why not do it with a photo too? You know, like huh. life's too short not to have some exactly. fun. Exactly. Yeah. All right. My sweet friend, how do people find you? How do they get a hold of you? Promote the heck out of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Here we go. I mean, pretty much all roads lead back to the bite shot.com. So that's the bite, like take a bite of the food as opposed to a bike. People think it's the bike shot or the bike shop or like, I'm like, nope, the bite <laughs> shot. Um, yeah. So that is the bite shot.com. That is where all the social medias stem from all the courses and premium content, all the everything sort of. Um, but in terms of like the places that I show up the most predictably um, YouTube is where um, you can get new, new videos, new tutorials. 
uh, one just went up today, got another yeah. one coming in two weeks. So, um, lots of good action there, Instagram, but the, the surefire way to keep tabs on what I'm doing is the email list, which yes. is linked on the homepage. Um, because we can't trust algorithms to distribute our content for us. Cause bless the algorithms. <laughs> right. Oh, that's very sweet of you. All right. Last question. If COVID wasn't a thing, which is kind of not anymore, and you had all the money in the world, where are you going and what are you eating? Ooh, such a good question. All the money in the world to go oh, anywhere. Anywhere. And you can leave the kids behind and the husband, or you can bring <laughs> them with you, whatever you want to do. The world is your oyster. Oh my gosh. That yeah. is, that is a huge opportunity. Let's think. I mean, there's so many places in the world. Yeah that I want to go and see. Um, but you know, one of the big like things that we've been really wanting to do that COVID, uh, screwed up some quasi plans for was doing, going to Europe. So with my kiddos, cause they are, so they've been studying French in <gasps> school and I don't know, like a French, but they know French, which is hilarious. Wow. Um, and so, I mean, not a lot, but enough to be dangerous. And so they've had this, this whole desire to go see the Eiffel tower. And so oh. I cannot wait for the day that I can take those little guys to the Eiffel tower. And, you know, my husband's never been outside the continental United States. Cause I mean, U S and Mexico, but when you grow up in Arizona, Mexico doesn't count. Like, that's, no, it's nothing. That's, that's like, yeah. yeah. Going next door. Yeah. yeah okay. Exactly. Good. So, so when you go, to, we're going to, we're going to Paris. Okay, great. So when you go to Paris, I have a really good friend who does food tours there. So I'll connect you with her. She's Ooh, fabulous. Fabulous. And like, she specializes in, I don't know if you eat dairy, but she specializes in cheese tours. So she has, okay, great. Yeah. And the kids love cheese too. I mean, who doesn't love cheese? Cheese is amazing. Joni, I can't thank you enough for doing this. You are everything. Seriously. Thank, thank you so much. Oh, it was a pleasure to get to chat and such great questions from everybody. Totally. Totally. All right. Well, I'll see you around. Thank you again. Bye. Joni, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. It was such a treat and a pleasure to talk to you, get to know you. And now I feel like we're new best friends. Everybody, I will link all of Joni's information in the show notes. You can find that on my website, elizabethrfuller.com. If you have questions for the podcast, want to be on the podcast, want to check out my food photography and hire me because I'm amazing, shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and go on Instagram and tag me in all of your food adventures at let's go on a food adventure. I can't thank you guys enough. It's always a pleasure. I'll see you next Friday. And until then, lead with kindness, make some yummy food, and have a great weekend. Bye.